In certain circles, my guest today does not need an introduction. No introduction needed. If you are new to my guest, she is an absolute dynamo in the field. I'm going to tell you some of her bio highlights, but really overall, she is just a bright spot in the field and she's very kind and has done amazing work for the autism community. Today, I had the opportunity and honor of interviewing Lori Unum on episode 139 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. If you don't know Lori, she is a lawyer, professional speaker, law professor, mother of three young adult boys, and an internationally renowned autism advocate. She is a lawyer. She was living in Washington, D.C. with her family, and she was a professor. Her son, her oldest son, was diagnosed as having autism. And she began working in autism advocacy as a volunteer. She wrote groundbreaking autism insurance legislation for South Carolina, and it is known as Ryan's Law. She has advocated for applied behavior analysis and evidence-based practice to help autistic learners have independent lives and fulfilling lives as well. She has had an amazing career for 10 years. She worked with Autism Speaks and she traveled to every single state, which is absolutely amazing. She met with legislators and parents alike. And now she is the president for the Council of Autism Service Providers. Lori is a bright spot in the field, and I'm so excited for you to listen in on our conversation today. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks so much for joining us on episode 139. We have a great show for you today. We have with us Lori Unum. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on. It is my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. And I know who you are. I actually ran into you at Ohaba. I was presenting at the Ohio ABA conference. I, it was very brief. I think you asked me for directions to find somebody. And I was like, oh my goodness, I need to have her on the podcast. Okay, nice. Shout out. Anyway. That was a fun conference. I talked to, I did an ethics talk. So that's always a hot topic because everybody needs it in more than one way. And um, Dr. Heward was actually in my talk. That was the first time I uh, actually really met him and he was super interactive. So that was a life highlight for me. So I'm excited to have you on though. And you're just so instrumental in the field. I'm excited for everybody to learn all about your work um, if they're not familiar with you. So um, can you share with us your family's journey uh, with autism? I can, although that could take several hours of the entire episode. But our firstborn child, Ryan, was diagnosed with autism shortly before his second birthday. And we lived in Washington, D.C. at that time. We now live in South Carolina, where I grew up. But we lived in D.C., and that was great because we had access to several diagnostic clinics. And in fact, he he took three diagnostic appointments. We actually got triple diagnosed. I don't know why. I think we were just checking to see if that's really what it was. And yeah, looking back, it was kind of <clears throat> good because all three of them rec- diagnosed him with autism and recommended ABA. And I think that's really fortunate because, I mean, that was 20 years ago. And, right. you know, maybe everybody wasn't familiar, as familiar with ABA back then. 
it just gave us some really good guidance and direction as a family. I, you know, I didn't really question. I, I mean, I did my research. I did my Google research, figure out what ABA even was. But, but yeah, so we, we got that kind of clearer than typical direction from the get go. And so we set out trying to, and we, we did speech and we did OT as well, but we set out trying to find out about ABA and understand it and figure out how to get it. Yeah, we did. And again, living in D.C., we were able to find providers that came mm-hmm. into our home. And I guess the thing that I remember most um, was them telling us how much it was going to cost because for a 40-hour-per-week program, mm-hmm. it might very severely impaired. It was going to cost about $70,000 a year. And at that time, health insurance didn't pay anything. Nothing. They would pay for our speech and our OT, but they would pay nothing toward ABA. Now, that is, thank you for sharing that with us. And it was nice that you were in a big city and you have this amazing bio, which I know you're going to get into some of the things. You're very savvy. When you said you did your own research, it's like, yes, she did her own research. You have an amazing background just um, professionally, too. So that's interesting. So 20 years ago, I actually worked in the, I wonder if you ever looked at the Cleveland Clinic. It used to be called Center for Autism. Now it's called the Learner School. But I don't know if you've ever been up this way. But I was up here. I was a speech therapist and I started about 20 years ago. And so I worked in the Learner School, which was one of its first of its kind, where it's a specialized non-public program here in Cleveland. And that's where I first learned about ABA. But we would have people touring our center literally almost every single day because they would come in from out of state because there was just nothing out there. Now you can just rattle off all the different places, even in my area here in Cleveland and probably where you're located, too. Um, But back then, there just weren't there weren't a lot of options. And the thing that I'm excited for you to talk about is just insurance and what Ryan's law is and how instrumental you were in this, because I teach a class for people becoming BCBAs. And I know that new people in the field that haven't been around as long as I have, have no idea the the struggle that your family went through and other families trying to, number one, find a provider, number two, determine how to pay for it. Because when you said $70,000, that's what the learner school, I think, used to be. So it was like a non-public program where school districts would pay for the student to be educated in this program. And back in the day, way back in the day, about then, it was about $80,000 for these non-public programs. And for most families, that's really like, oh, well, that's just not an option. Like, we just can't do that. Um, So now with insurance coverage being what it is, um, I would love for you to talk about what Ryan's Law is and just a little bit of the work that you've done to make that a thing. Because people in the field they don't realize <laughs> what it used to be you know like. What? Yes, I would love to talk about this. And it make I love that intro to the topic because it makes me happy that people don't even know or remember there was a time when insurance paid for this. You know, that shows just how far we've come. But when when Ryan was diagnosed, this was 2003, um, there were few places around like the Cleveland Clinic. You know, you had lucky enough to live in one of those places or move to it. And as I said, there was no insurance coverage for it. And even a family like my own, my husband and I are both lawyers. We both work full time. And even our family, in order to afford this privately for our son, we had to sell our house and move to a less expensive house. And we did that. We were more than happy. You know, we were grateful that we had a house to sell, mm-hmm. right? 
And we were grateful that we both had good jobs so we could live on his salary. And we used my entire salary to pay for ABA. I was a professor at that time. I taught law school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, you don't make huge money as a professor. So, Mm -hmm. but it was enough to pay for his ABA. But it was so, it was like a knife in the stomach, honestly, to meet all these other families and their kids and know that there's no way they can do that for their child. Like, even if they would be willing, they don't have a house to sell. They don't have a second lawyer salary to sacrifice. And it really, excuse me, I'm getting over a cold, but it broke my heart just thinking about these kids are never going to get that opportunity to reach their maximum potential. And these families, it just was heartbreaking to think about, you know, there's something out there that undeniably could help your child with autism. But you can't get it because you're just not wealthy enough. And I thought that is so wrong. You know, that's why we pay for health insurance as a family. We just in case something goes wrong, you know, at a huge expense. That is why we pay for health insurance. And so it just really struck me as unfair. And when Ryan was still little, we moved back to South Carolina, largely driven by his autism diagnosis because we just needed to be around family. We needed this. So we moved back to South Carolina when he was three or four. And again, I met more and more families. I would go to these support groups and I would ask them about ABA. They barely knew what it was or they were getting an hour a week from the school district. And I was like, that is not going to do it. So eventually I literally sat down at my kitchen table and I wrote a bill to require health insurance to pay for evidence-based treatment for autism including ABA, but not limited to ABA. Um, So that was the beginning. That was 2005. And I was not savvy enough to know how hard it would be to get that legislation passed. I had never tried to pass a bill before, nor had anyone. um, But I found a legislator to file the bill for me. And it was a two-year journey. Basically, I had lots of families around South Carolina who helped me. And it was a two-year journey to educate the legislators on what autism was, mm-hmm. on what ABA was, on how devastating it would be for a family to know that their child needed it and not be able to get it. Mm-hmm. And in 2007, they did the right thing and they passed. I didn't name it Ryan's Law. It became as Ryan's Law, but yeah. they bill now known as Ryan's Law that requires health insurance that's in South Carolina to cover evidence-based care for autism. And then that turned into a new career for me. I was doing that as a mom at that time. I was still teaching law school and just kind of doing that on the side. But Autism Speaks reached out to me and said, hey, that is a really good law that you got passed in South Carolina. That ought to be the law everywhere. Why don't you come work for us full time and that will be your job, will be to travel around the country and try to replicate that law state by state by state. So I did that. I I quit my job as a lawyer and went to work for Autism Speaks and then spent the next decade literally going to all 50 states and working, working with local families, you know, always to be local moms and dads who were the champions. And we would find the legislators that we thought would be um, helpful and provider help. So it was a big community effort. Um, in every state, but it was so fun to be able to lead that initiative on a national scale and um, see it succeed by finally by 2019 was when the 50th state passed. 
So now all these states do require coverage for ABA. I love this. I love learning about And I can imagine how exhilarating slash exhausting, both physically and mentally, those 10 years must have been. Like, I just can't imagine. It's so neat. I always, I have three kids of my own and I have this business called ABA Speech. And I always think to myself, I would love to go everywhere. Well, it was interesting because when I worked at the Learner School, you know, I was one year being a speech therapist. I always liked working with autistic students. And so I took this position because that was all I was doing is working with autistic learners. And I learned about ABA. And I remember saying in my little speech office with my uh, coworkers, you know, it's amazing. Like, I want to go places and I want to tell people about the power of ABA. And I remember saying that 19 years ago because it is absolutely transformative and life-changing. And it's neat that you were able to do that work. I'm sure that it was just beyond an experience, but it sounds exhausting. And like, thank you for doing that work because I think that's so great to talk through that because it's kind of like in my field, people... When I was in the field and I started as a speech therapist, we didn't have iPads. Like iPads didn't exist, okay? So every kid had a dedicated device, which isn't the worst thing, you know, if they were using an AAC device. But it's funny to be 20 years into a field and me telling people that have no clue that there was life before this insurance, there was life before iPads, and just to see the growth of the field and how many people's lives I mean, just even from the students getting ABA, but then to just see the absolute explosion in the field as a BCBA. I mean, it's got to be staggering. I know when I was at Ohaba, it used to be it used to be so small. I think I went to it six years ago for the first time. And then I just went this past year when you were there. And just to look at the growth, I think the president said, like, how many people were certified in the state of Ohio? I mean, the trend line was straight up and it was like, wow, it's it's really just amazing what you've been able to do and all the people that, you know, you say it's a community and I'm sure that it was a group effort, but thank you for Absolutely. your work. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I mean, it's an honor to be able to do it. And I give a lot of credit to Autism Speaks for allowing me to do it as a job because yeah. as I said, I needed to work. We were paying our son's ABA and so I needed to be working, but they allowed me to do this and invent the money so that I could. So I'm grateful for that. You know, similarly, I remember in South Carolina when I was trying to get the bill passed in 2006 and the legislators, they didn't know what behavior analysts were. Yeah. You know, they'd never heard of the certification. They're like, is that something you get in the back of a magazine? <laughs> I'm like, no, no, it's really not. And they were like, well, how many are there? And I'm like, there are 26. In South Carolina, there were 26 behavior analysts at the time. Yeah. And so, I mean, and so, of course, it has exploded in every day. And yet, there still aren't enough. Right. Because yes. Some has exploded even more exponentially. And just to serve the autism community. And of course, I know ABA is utilized far beyond just autism. But uh, Absolutely. And when I used to start doing these talks like 10 years ago, when I started speaking, I would say, and one in 242 people are diagnosed having autism. And then it came out, it's one in 36. So, I mean, this, it's just a, it's just changed so much. Um, so you're, you're now the CEO of the Council of Autism Service Providers, which I've heard of that organization. Um, and for listeners who have not heard of that, can you tell us just a little bit about that organization? I honestly, I think you have a conference. I don't know everything about it. So I'm kind of curious if you can tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, thank you for asking. So CAS, the Council of Autism Service Providers, started out as just a conference and there was no P. It was just the Council on Autism Services. And it started with a group of like a dozen CEOs, all of whom were running these autism provider organizations. And they just wanted to get together and share 
strategy and stories and say, you know, what are you doing about this? What are you doing about that? Because that was very early days when it was still difficult to fund programs. And so these dozen CEOs started meeting together in a conference in Las Vegas every January. And I became familiar because they started inviting me to speak at their conference. You know, I was the one who could tell them, well, here's where insurance is going to, what we're going to do next or where it's going to come next. So I became kind of perpetual speaker at this conference of CEOs. (laughs) Well, that conference just grew and grew because the field grew. Yeah. So um, in 2015, 2016, those original founders of the conference said, hey, you know what? We ought to just go ahead and incorporate and become a real trade association representing autism providers because mm-hmm. clearly it's a it's a whole field. And um, instead of just meeting once a year in January, let's be an association and let's be in constant contact with each other and collaborate and advocate for policy changes. So um, so in 2016, they incorporated CAS as the Council of Autism, Autism Service Providers. We're a nonprofit 501c6 trade association. And, you know, those 12 organizations that had the foresight to start it, we've now grown to nearly 350 organizations are members of CAS. And you can't join as an individual. You can only join as an organization, but it's really a great, great association because we have fostered an environment that is extremely collaborative. Mm-hmm. And that was important to me as an autism mom. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to lead an association where people are just thinking about the money and the industry or competing. Right. There are plenty of kids with autism to go around, right? Right. It's right. There's reason to be competitive. The providers meet with each other weekly or monthly. You know, we all get together monthly on on a Zoom and just kind of chat about what's going on. Yeah, we have a whole bunch of special interest groups that meet in between, and so there's just a lot of communication and people helping each other. So it's Mm -hmm. very super honored to to lead this organization of providers, and I'm honored because the providers have meant so much to my family. And so it's like another way of being able to give back. That's nice. And I actually, I do have a friend, one of my best friends who owns a really dynamic non-public program here in Cleveland. And there's three partners. It's a really cool practice. It's like, she's the speech therapist, PhD. There's a neurologist and then there's a psychologist. And I think one year they went to the conference, but they just mentioned how it was just like you said, like super collaborative. People like were really sharing things that were helpful, you know, because sometimes I'm in these business masterminds and nobody's in the same exact field as me. So it isn't competitive. And so you're just like telling everybody all about your email marketing and your, your TikTok strategy and whatever it is. But it's nice. And she said it was really collaborative and people were really sharing information that was actually very transformative and helpful for their practice. So it sounds, if that's important yeah. to you and you're listening, it, it sounds like it's definitely a, a nice resource. I <laughs> hear that. And we, we've expanded now. We not only have the annual cast conference, which has yeah. grown like six or 700 people, but there's a leadership summit kind of for up and coming leaders mm-hmm. in the autism space, then a CEO retreat where the CEO just, um, we don't even have speakers for that. Right. It's just an opportunity for the CEO to kind of hang out at the bar together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
um, swap stories. Oh, that's nice. And you need all that sometimes, I think, because because sometimes when you're in that position, there's not people that you can relate to, like maybe in your area or maybe in your hometown, it is a little more competitive. So it it does give you that more global kind of feel. I know even that's what's nice about speech first BCBA. I remember, you know, speech will have a conference there will be 20,000 people there. You know, you have like you go to ABAI and I remember being with I'm friends with like Mary Barbera. So I remember just kind of being at the bar, happy hour, meeting all the people and, you know, belly up to the bar. There's Mark Sundberg, you know, chit chatting. And it's just a very different kind of experience. So it's a must. Those conferences are good. So kind of a a couple questions just to wrap up here. Um, What advice do you have for parents who have a child who maybe is newly diagnosed as having autism? Well, obviously, I'm a big proponent of ABA and of early intervention and intervention across the lifespan. So I would say, you know, get in there and intervene early and often. And if it requires you to move, move. If it requires you to change jobs, change jobs. Like, Mm -hmm. I, you know, there's nothing I regret that we did do for our son. I can look back at some things and wish we wish we had moved sooner or whatever, Um, you know, so. But also, I would say, like, it's hard. I mean, it depends on your child's level of autism. Mm -hmm. I actually have two of my three sons are diagnosed. But my youngest son, I don't ever really talk about it because he's extremely high functioning. I know people don't like that expression, but he's academically on par or above. And, you know, he doesn't struggle in the same way. Right. Sure. Uh, But, you know, with our oldest son, Ryan, who is very severely impaired. Yeah. uh, it was super, super hard when he was little. I mean, life was hard. Yeah. The other thing I would say to parents is it just gets much better. <laughs> <laughs> Not only because he improved in his functioning so much over years through the intensive ABA, but I don't know. I just, I maybe some of it was us adjusting to a, a slightly different lifestyle, but we love our lives. We love our lives with him. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, if you're newly diagnosed and you're feeling all doom and gloom, hang in there. It gets a lot better. I love that. That is nice to end on. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to include some links in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to Lori or know where she's speaking, because she does a lot of speaking and you talk about conferences. I know you're at a lot of conferences, too. So thank you so much, Lori, for taking time to come and talk on the podcast. I think it was just very informative and helpful information. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.